Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. We're back. Triple Threat Theater, episode 22. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Milzy. Mm-hmm. Have we gone and brought on a special guest? Uh, he's a guest. I will leave it up to the listeners to decide if he's special. Ooh. Oh, I guarantee, I guarantee I'm special, guys. Uh, with that, <laughs> intro, with that uh, intro, I'll say, welcome, Doug Miller. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. You know, uh, I was thinking I get this invite and, you know, I saw a Triple Threat Theater. I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good. And I thought back to all those times I've tried to tell my wife how fun a three-way would be. And how did I know <laughs> that my first three-way would be with you three guys or the two guys? I mean, uh, you know, we've got a menage a trois of awesomeness on uh, Triple Threat Theater today. Yeah. yeah That's what it's sense. all about, man. Triple threats, triple hosts. That's how we do it three ways and i gotta back up my previous statement honestly doug you are pretty special at least to us because you are thus far one of only two people who have agreed to do the show Mm. that does make me feel special you'd be amazed how hard it is to get people to watch three movies and talk about them with you but so so wait so i i was the second person to agree but you've asked a load of people but just now ask me i feel super special now Uh, yeah. No, I mean, we we threw the hooks out to everybody, and you're one of, like, maybe three people who has said yes, they would do it, so that makes you special. Uh, good save. Right. I still feel special, guys. <laughs> you should. I mean, <laughs> you know, we've tried and failed, and we didn't have to bribe you or threaten you. You just said yes, so we appreciate that. If I would have known bribes were on the table, I would have held out. <laughs> Having agreed to do this, were you then... Pleased, disappointed, or otherwise in the three movies that you're going to get to talk about? Oh, I was pleased over some of the trash I thought you might pick. So, you know, this was already going to be a win. When I saw this, <laughs> I'm seeing the lineup and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm down with these. This will be a good pick. And yeah. uh, it, it was a good fit because I've only seen one of these three until uh, this episode. So I was excited. Oh, good oh. Deal. Interesting. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get right out there and say this is, episode twenty two is Tower of Terror, where mm-hmm. we watched nineteen eighty seven's Enemy Territory, which no one's heard of, right? Two thousand and eleven's The Raid, Redemption. I which guess I, technically, no, we do not call it <laughs> The Raid Redemption on this show. My it man. is The Raid. All right, very good, very good. And then two thousand twelve's Dread, Dread Sands Judge. Correct. I will say this episode is good because I think it's a move. You got one movie, Enemy Territory. What the hell is that? (laughs) You got the next movie, The Raid, where I feel like this is kind of, I don't know, maybe a hidden gem. I don't feel like most people know about this movie. Possible. Where And then you got Dread, which is kind of just above that only because it's a known character and... Yeah, but I mean, if you look Bigger at how release. many people actually went out and saw Dread, 
and how poorly sure. it did at the box office. Sure. Uh, I think it's safe to call both Dread and The Raid cult films at this point. Yeah, I think that's fairly well. legitimate, too. I mean, you know, you look at from a comic book standpoint, let's face it, Judge Dredd is not the most popular character in the world. And, you know, he has name value. But I mean, how much more name value does he have over, you know, Tank Girl or Barbed Wire or some of those characters to U.S. audiences? I mean, certainly overseas, Judge Dredd carries a ton of clout. But in the U.S., not as big of a market unless you're an Anthrax fan like I grew up as. <laughs> Yeah, and I would say that Judge Dredd in America, if it weren't for the Sylvester Stallone movie, which people remember from the 90s, a lot of a lot more people wouldn't even know who the hell he is. Yeah. Because I, I really think that when all is said and done, the Dredd movie that we're going to talk about with Carl Urban was but a drop in the uh, cultural bucket over here. And probably, potentially, because people remembered the Stallone one and how much they didn't like it. So they didn't bother with this mm-hmm. one, even if they knew what it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I, that's gotta be a reason they dropped the judge part from the title. Just I to, have to imagine, you know, just yeah, to differentiate that. that much more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as for enemy territory, I mean, obviously the raid and dread came out like within a year of one another, both very similar. It's about like good guys fighting their way up a tower of bad guys to the top where the main bad guy is. And so, of course, early on, uh, you know, thinking about trios of movies we could do, those two jumped to mind. And I was just like, okay, I, I wish I could remember what I Googled, but I basically just Googled like tall building full of bad guys or something <laughs> like that. And uh, somehow I came across enemy territory, found it pretty quickly. Uh, on the internet, but uh, actually finding a copy, not very easy to do because it has never been released on home video post VHS and Laserdisc in at oh. least America. Um, I think there's a Dutch DVD that I found the box art for on Google. But <laughs> I have a random side question. Do mm-hmm. either of you have any history with Laserdisc? You know, owning or even watching one ever? I actually did not own Laserdisc, but I had family that owned Laserdiscs. And I just remember at the time that it blew my mind because it's like, oh, my God, look how much better this is than VHS. You know, and the cool thing is it's only like two, you know, basically records at the end of the day. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just it was crazy just seeing these giant sleeves and throwing these discs in there. Um, so, yeah, I've got some uh, history with Laserdisc. I think my high school I'd have to ask one of the guys from high school, but I think my high school like had a laser disc player in the building that I may have seen once on like one of those rolly carts with the TV on top of it. <laughs> but I never like saw it in use or I've never actually seen a laser disc. So I don't even know. Are they as big as a record? Is that the deal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've never watched a laser disc. Uh I never like encountered laser discs until I feel like the last ten years maybe in like a used video store or something. Mm-hmm. I only know, or at least to my knowledge, knew one person who had a laser disc player when I was in like high school. So mm. it had to have uh, been expensive, was, right? I mm. have to imagine. Yeah. You know, if only hipsters would bring those back the way they have vinyl. <laughs> I mean it's that it's the next thing, right? To- totally. It's all going backwards. They're bringing back audio tapes. 8-track is next. It's it's a big technological yeah. meltdown back to the uh, 80s and even 70s. I'm sure I'll read in like Wired magazine or like someone's got like a cache of, uh, you know, some 
brick building in Brooklyn somewhere is full to the top with laser discs or something, and it's like the the new the new thing, the new it thing. Well, you know, I mean, with the the way digital media is taking over, it has to because I mean, we all know when this you know cloud bursts or when Apple explodes and all the data is lost that uh, we're all going to go hang at Ryan or Tony's house to watch movies because of their uh, physical media <laughs> collection. It's true. I, although I would finally say, I'll be popular. <laughs> we might have bigger problems if. Apple just goes kaput one day. I mean, we might not even get on planes at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't super long ago. Was it Voodoo announced that they uh, they were like closing up shop and it's like they gave the option for people to move their uh, like their digital movies over to another service. But then like it, it just goes to show that eventually one of these streaming services or whatever could just say, oh, we're done. Bye. You know, that's true. Too bad. So sad. It's true. I don't. I don't. I would think Apple would be the last one of that, but still, you're right. Voodoo yeah. did go kaput. So anything could happen. I mean, my house could burn down, and all of my discs Ooh. could melt. But jeez, it took a turn. So now, hypothetically speaking, Ryan, your house burns down tomorrow. <laughs> Outside of the family, I mean, and you know, you may even debate that. But what are you going to miss most? You've got your physical media, you've got your comics, or you've got your hot toys. One of those you can save. You only have enough time to save one of those three. Which three? You know, which of the three do you choose? Like the you're saying, I could save my entire comic collection, my entire video collection, or all my hot toys. Or you're saying, like, I can pick one. You can no, it, meaning only hot toys, only physical media, or only comics. You can you basically can pack all of that one particular class of stuff out. Which one do you choose of those three? I mean, it's got to be comics because I have more of those than anything else. I mean, just so, so it's a volume thing. It's a numbers game. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. Yeah. If I were a betting man, I would have said physical media. I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised you took comics. Yeah. Oh, I, again, just the have you? I mean, maybe you haven't seen photos of my graphic novel collection. Oh, um, I have. Yeah. I have two twenty-five by twenty-five cube IKEA Kallax shelves filled. And then that's not even all of them. So, yeah, just a numbers game, I would say, the graphic novels. But if my house is burning down, ain't no way I'm getting all of my, my books, all of my paper products out of the house. It's a hypothetical, Millsy. It's that's a hypothetical. All of a sudden, you have super speed and super strength. Just not enough super speed or super <laughs> strength to save it all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, it would have been easier to just say that some uh, crazy maniac comes to my house and is like, I'm going to destroy two of these. Pick which one gets to survive. But either way. It would, like I say, it would probably just have to be comics. And that movie is coming to you soon on Netflix. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which means it's probably going to suck. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, hot take. Anyway. Anyway. Getting back on track here. Uh, any other preamble or do we want to dive right into our first film? I want to think of another scenario where you lose two thirds of all your belongings. <laughs> so I'm going to help get this on track for just a second. And I'm just going to set the table here with what may Ooh. shock you guys. Oh, boy. Out of our three movies today, I am actually most excited to talk about Enemy Territory. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I like. I love it already. Let's get right into it. Well, yeah, that's the first one. Let's just dive right in. Uh, Enemy Territory from 1987. Make it easy. Come on out and save the old woman. Now, I know the white ass in there don't give a damn about any old black woman, but the brother there got to be righteous. 
Yeah, well, I got something righteous for you in here. Vampires got no fight with you, brother. Just give us the ghost. Now we gonna get them one way or ever which way. Yeah, well, you gonna have to pay for what you get. How much you willing to pay anyway, huh? How many vampires? We'll be back with your answer. When the sun comes up, you'll all be nothing but mocks in a book of the missing. Psycho! You stay on this door. How's your dad and my children? Tonight you taste blood. Directed by a guy named Peter Manugian, uh, who I had never heard of, but he's made some semi-recognizable, like, kind of indie, underground, forgotten, like, 80s sci-fi and horror movies. The Dungeon Master, Eliminators, Arena, Demonic Toys, and Seed People. I believe all for Empire Pictures, which I think is where uh, Enemy Territory was produced as well, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I've actually heard of Demonic Toys, although I have not seen it. Hmm. I've seen Dungeon Master. I, of course, have heard of all of these, but that's because <laughs> I have no life. Good or are already are all of these movies released through one of these boutique DVD or Blu-ray companies? Uh, probably at least one or two of them. I can tell you without giving away exactly which one, one of them is in another triple threat theater uh, trio that has yet to be chosen. Mm. So you have that to look forward to. Yeah. And it's a doozy. (laughs) So, Doug, start us off here. Uh, What what is it that you're excited to talk about when it comes to enemy territory? So my biggest excitement on enemy territory, I got to tell you, is my biggest disappointment. Oh, and. It's it's not the acting, it's not the effects, it's not anything. I'm going to get right to it. You got this guy going into this building. Okay, normal setup. I see where this is going to go. And then you've got this gang called the Vampires. And you got people telling him, hey, don't go in this place after dark because the Vampires. Oh. And my initial, my <laughs> not knowing anything about this movie, my initial reaction is like, oh, shit, does this have vampires in it? Because this will be <laughs> awesome. Like, if he's trying to get through this whole fucking tower and there are vampires all over the place and he's, you know, axing guys left and right. And, and I'm like, oh, this is going to this is gonna be kind of bad. Oh, fuck. They're real gang members. There aren't any vampires in here. It was the biggest letdown ever because I was super pumped because not having any knowledge on this movie at all, other than, <laughs> you know, kind of having an idea of where it was going based on the three picks. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure it was going to have vampires in it and i gotta tell you i would love to see this movie be remade with vampires Mm. because that would kick ass i have to agree that that's a great idea you know that never occurred to me because i knew what this movie was going in but i have to admit it would have been pretty awesome if it turns out that tony todd was actually a vampire (laughs) because the whole thing is i mean you know for anybody who doesn't know which is probably most people listening to this the premise is that uh there's like kind of a down on his luck uh uh, insurance guy and he um, he's been given like a easy opportunity to go make a couple thousand bucks going to a shitty part of town in New York City and uh, getting this woman this elderly woman in this uh, apartment building that's basically run by a gang called the vampires to sign some paperwork and he has to do it like right away so he goes there and everyone's warning him like man after dark the vampires, this gang, like they're in charge and he ends up stuck there overnight and the vampires have a vendetta against him. And so the whole movie is this gang led by Tony Todd, a.k.a. the Candyman, hunting them throughout uh, 
hunting him and Ray Parker Jr. Yes, that Ray Parker Jr. throughout uh, this uh, apartment building. And I would say that that is my biggest disappointment, that this movie stars Ray Parker Jr. and doesn't have a theme song written by him. <laughs> it's a damn shame. Because you're going yeah, through was... enemy territory. <laughs> I was really hoping that there would be a Ray Parker Jr. song in there, but there is not. But uh, yeah, that would have been pretty awesome if Tony Todd turned out to be an actual vampire because they always talk about like at night it's the vampire's time and like they're trying to catch and kill these guys before the sun comes up because uh, I mean, they never really explicitly say, but you know, just the gang operates at night and when mm -hmm. the sun comes up, it's like their time is done, which, you know, like the sun comes up and vampires can't go out in the sun. Right. Kind of a cool idea, but yeah, if they were actually vampires, that would have been pretty neat. And they've got like kind of a, I mean, they say they're vampires, but a couple times I was like, is this more of a snake motif? Because they keep making like hissing sounds and, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and I thought I caught a couple snake gestures. I wasn't sure, but I was like, you know, they're playing fast and loose with this name. But I like the part when they're having kind of a gang rally at the beginning of the night and uh, the count which is the the name that they give to Tony Todd. He's like, uh, the final thing is like, it's not him yelling like, let's go get some. And they all raise their hands. He, he says, show me your fangs. And they all hold up their knives and weapons, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I think this movie is like really in need of a remake. Let's see that with actual vampires. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, it literally think, from Dusk Till Dawn meets Lost Boys. You got Jan Michael Vincent. He could be playing basically that grandpa <laughs> character from the Lost Boys. And then well, you not anymore. He can't. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> if he wasn't dead. But, <laughs> but, you know, outside of that. And then you've got the From Dusk Till Dawn swerve where you think it's going to go in and be one thing. And then all of a sudden turns into this crazy batshit thing on the uh -huh. other side. Yeah. And I mean, come to think of it. You know, if this movie wasn't so hard to get a hold of, it might have a little bit more cult status if people could see it a little easier. But if this did have a horror bent, I bet you this movie would be much more well-known than it is. Yeah. Um, this does, like, really feel like it's, like, should be coming out from Vinegar Syndrome or one of those other companies. It feels, like, just like you said, if more people saw it, I feel like it'd be higher up on, like, the cult status. Yeah, the whole time I'm watching it, just like the the tone and the feel of it, it's obviously not like a great movie, but it's it's another one of those movies that feels like it's, you know, riffing off of the Warriors a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if if for no other reason, Tony Todd is in this movie, and he's like a cult movie staple. Oh yeah, and this is one of his earliest films. I think this is only the fourth movie he ever did. And he's like the leader of this gang. He's like the main bad guy. Yeah, this needs to come out from like Shout Factory or someone immediately. And this isn't like a, th I mean, on Triple Threat, we've, we've watched some throwaway movies and with like no name cast completely. Mm -hmm. But this one between, you got Tony Todd, uh, Stacey Dash, you know, everyone knows from Clueless. Mm -hmm. And Sharknado, The Fourth Awakens. <laughs> Especially when Jan Michael Vincent showed up, because I was real excited, because... I'm like an old school Airwolf fan, <laughs> so I was very pumped to see him in here. If I had to guess, I would have said the only person on this podcast that watched Airwolf would have been Doug. But <laughs> oh no, yeah, oh, because no. I'm actually old enough to have watched Airwolf when it was at. You know, you look at Enemy Territory, and when this thing started, the acting was really, really rough. 
Like this thing starts and then the office and I'm like, oh, Jesus, this thing is going to be a real, real long mm-hmm. track. But I mean, honestly, and I think you know, I'm kind of getting the same same vibe from you guys. It wasn't like it wasn't the worst movie ever. I mean, the you know, story wise and setup and everything. I mean, it, it went in a pretty logical order. It wasn't the worst movie in the world. Now, I mean, it hasn't aged well in its 80s. And I mean, let's face it, it mm-hmm. still is trash, but it's not like there's different levels of trash. And this is kind of in that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the worst thing ever. I mean, I get what they were trying to do and they were clearly on a budget. They blew sure. it on John Jan Michael Vincent, who, you know, blew it on Coke or crack <laughs> or whatever he was doing at the time. Well, he had that lead lead encased apartment with the the wheelchair and the uh what have a blow dart gun built into it <laughs> into his wheelchair yeah like a mini spear gun yeah it's pretty amazing and i was reading that apparently at this point in his career he was definitely drunk on set most of the yeah. time and whatever he was doing nice i didn't know a lot about him like i knew the name and you know that he was kind of like a cheesy b movie actor but reading a little bit about him after i watched the movie um i didn't realize that he was actually not like a big name actor or anything, but he was in like a lot of like reasonably prestigious movies and acted alongside the uh, alongside the likes of like John Wayne and stuff in the beginning of his career. Right. And then it seems like he did Airwolf. And then after that, all he could get was like shitty B movies and stuff like Enemy Territory. It's too bad because Airwolf is the jam. <laughs> he really was. He really was tabbed to be a, a big star at one point and just kept falling, falling off. I mean, every time he fell off the wagon, it just took him one more notch down. But for a while, I mean, yeah, you're right. He was he was a regarded actor that people were looking at as as one of these future kind of stars. And he just yeah, he blew it. And I almost wonder, like these days, uh, it's not unusual for like big A-list actors to do like a television series or a miniseries or something like that, because we're in, you know, that golden age of television that everyone likes to talk about. But like back in the day, that was definitely not the case. And I feel like mm. television was regarded far less than movies. Oh, big time. And yeah. I wonder if it was a result of like him struggling as an actor that he ended up on TV or if it was a result of him doing a TV show that meant that after the fact he couldn't get like recognition as an actor. I don't I don't. Have, yeah, I agree. And I, I don't have much to go on here why I think this, but just from you know, 10 years ago watching Entourage. And if you were to think that that show was any like actual real semblance of Hollywood, they made it out like TV actors. That's like a wasteland dumping ground. So if you, if you're doing TV, then you're not even close in any regard to (laughs) movie actors. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's changed probably in the last 10 years, five, 10 years, but yeah, for I think, sure. I think back then it's like you can't cut in the movies anymore. You go find a TV job. Yeah, but at the mm-hmm. same at the same time though, TV was definitely a stepping stone. And I, I mean, if you, I would bet if you look at his filmography and stuff, Airwolf was that one that led to a few films, and then he just you know got hooked. But you look at you look at Jan Michael Vincent, or you look at you know Pierce Brosnan with Remington Steel. They wanted him for Bond based off of Remington Steel, but couldn't get him. You look at Bruce Willis started in Moonlighting and then gets into movies from there. So, you know, for some stars, that TV was the launch pad for him. And I think it was going to be a launch pad for Jan Michael Vincent with a show like Airwolf, but he just couldn't stay square. I would say that TV was a stepping stone. What I meant is like if you were in movies mm, and then you yeah. kind of backpedaled into TV, that felt like the death knell yeah, back that, in the yeah, day. Totally but obviously like a lot of people got their start on TV and then worked their way into movies. But you never go back. Like, Yeah. 
you know, you start in one and you go to the other. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it from, from that age. And I mean, Remington Steel, Airwolf, Moonlighting, they were kind of all in that same, I don't know. And I'm just just guessing at this point, but I'd say they were probably all within about a three to five year period. Well, I mean, what other actors or actresses can you think of from that time period that were really moving into film? Mm. Uh, I, I mean, this is definitely not my time period, so I, I'm not 100% sure I didn't live through quite as much of it as you did, Doug. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I imagine there's a, a fair number of other examples that I just can't pull off the top of my head. I just think They're it'd be interesting there. to see what had happened if, if he had actually stayed straight instead of just you know, blowing it all because, uh, yeah, I mean, he was a guy that at one point was, I mean, he was a sex symbol from airwolf. I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, brought a lot of attention, um, you know, and yeah, just totally blew it. I think maybe I'll do the research and then in an upcoming Instagram post for the episode, <laughs> we'll, we'll track the rise and fall of Jim Michael Vince. I'd love to see a spreadsheet on that. All right. You got it. But uh, are you guys familiar at all with the other, like the main character of the movie, Gary Frank? Not even a little. No. I hear that name and I just think the comic book artist, Gary Frank. uh, Like I looked this guy up and, you know, he's been in a movie here or there, but pretty much it seems like he just did a ton of television work from the late 70s to the late 90s. And that's about it. I mean, one of those guys who appeared for one or two episodes on every goddamn TV show that was out there during that time. But, um, yeah, didn't recognize him, didn't think he was great, didn't think he was terrible. He was just like the kind of generic white guy who was afraid of the gang members throughout the movie. Well, I I think the key really comes down to clearly uh, Gary Frank ended up retiring early based on the residuals. Uh, that he received off the VHS copies, <laughs> and he's brought it in. Although it's funny you mentioned generic white guy. Literally in my notes it says, "Can Barry sound like more of a white name?" And then I thought about it for a minute, and I was like, "Oh well, wait, Barry White. Never mind." You know, but oh. but, uh, but that was true, my true. first that was my first you know uh, thought too. Was geez, could you sound more white than Barry? <laughs> but yeah, I think that uh, you know. <sighs> You know, Jan Michael Vincent, not not that he makes like a huge impression in this movie. He plays like kind of a ridiculous. He's like a a Vietnam vet who's like very militant. And as Dax mentioned, he's turned his apartment in this like rundown apartment building into like a fortress. So like he's like a little section of this movie, but not super impactful on the entire thing. I feel like Tony Todd as a kind of a genre actor is really good in this movie. Uh, I feel like the two leads, you know, not to say anything bad about Ray Parker Jr., but this is one of like two things he ever actually acted in, aside from the Ghostbusters music video. Mm. If you had had a more capable actor in one of those two roles, preferably the Ray Parker Jr. role, I think that this movie might have even gotten a little more play than it did. But I think that, you know, Ray Parker Jr. is fine. He just doesn't have like a lot of screen presence. And then Gary Frank is just the guy who's afraid all the time. And then all of a sudden snaps and beats a dead guy with a baseball bat at the end. Aptly named Psycho. Yeah, Psycho was the (laughs) gang member's name. Because he did get thrown down an elevator shaft, remember? Yeah, he got shot, thrown down an (laughs) elevator shaft, and then still had like a horror movie thing where he like comes back and he attacks one more time. Mm Mm-hmm. Told you he's missing actual fangs. That would have been badass. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's, it's not, you're not wrong. 
Uh, well, yeah, what if the whole movie, you know, they're always talking about, like, drinking blood and all this stuff um, just as, you know, metaphors for what they're going to do to people. Like, at the very end of the movie, they end up, it's like the final showdown outside on the playground right outside the apartment building as the sun is coming up. How crazy would it have been if the movie was exactly like it is, but then at the end, Tony Todd just, like, bursts into flames <laughs> when the sun comes up on I him? I mean, it'd be amazing. <laughs> You, you guys really would you realize talking about all this just keeps just just getting me going. God, that would have been so good. I am literally I need to track down whoever still owns this. I want to buy the rights <laughs> from this movie so I can remake it the right way, because this yes. thing would be awesome. Just awesome it, if it actually had it really would. I think uh, CBS. Well, you know, now that I think about it, Disney now owns Fox. Uh, I think CBS and Fox had the uh, distribution rights to it, but. If I'm correct in saying that it was an Empire picture, Charles Band may still have some kind of ownership over it. But call up Charlie Band, man. Get him on the horn. Get I mean, the get this. I'd love to see. Uh, what would your uh, your distribution company be called to release this movie through? That's kind of putting me on the spot. See, I was still trying to wrap my head around the fact that Disney may, in some way, of six degrees of separation, own enemy <laughs> territory. And Th- reali- this movie could end up on Disney Plus, man. You never know. <laughs> I just realized yeah. that really what they spent seventy billion dollars on was not The Simpsons, was not you know Alien or Predator or uh, you know Star Wars. It was this, and and clearly this <laughs> is the diamond in the rough and uh, the reason behind that merger. Surely, surely that's true. I don't know this like totally feels like one of those movies that someone else would be telling me is a cult classic that I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And so it's you know if this just feels like the one I could tell people like oh that one's good but have you seen Enemy Territory? <laughs> no, that one's crazy. Yeah, I feel like it could also have a better title. Enemy Territory is kind of generic yeah. and doesn't give you any impression of what's actually yeah. like what the movie is about, but. I agree. If it was called like Night of the Vampires or something, even, mm. that would be, Vampire I'm sure we would Tower, have a, a Blu-ray release of it by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Uh, like, like I said earlier, it got a limited release. Uh, I don't know how long it was in theaters. I unfortunately couldn't find any box office or budget information for this, but uh, shortly after the same year, it got a push on VHS and Laserdisc, and as I mentioned, has never been on DVD or Blu-ray in the U.S which is unfortunate. It um, is. Here's something weird. Talking about Ray Parker Jr. and how I wish he wrote a theme song for the movie. Did any? Did either of you notice anything unusual or perhaps familiar about the end credits song of the movie? No. No. It's like a, kind of like a hip-hop song uh, by a group called the Boogie Boys. I imagine they're not still around, but... You know, I've been wrong before. The song is called Friend or Foe. And if you listen back to it, you're going to have to go back and listen to it again or just look it up on YouTube. They sample or at least they're hardcore ripping off the theme for Halloween by John Carpenter. Oh, oh yeah. Now that, you, now that you mentioned that, I remember that a little bit. Yeah, It's that song, but it's sped up with like kind of a hip hop like uh, percussion under it. And then like that beat will go away and there will be like rap lyrics and then it will come back again. And I'm sitting there at the end of the movie, and it's like sped up, and I'm like, what is this? It sounds so familiar. And then when I realized what it was, just another reason it should have been a horror film. Hmm. I agree. You waited through the credits hoping for an Easter egg, didn't you? Post-credit <laughs> no. scene in enemy territory? I did skip to towards the end to find out the title of the song so I could look it up on, uh, hmm. on YouTube. Well played. 
Isn't that funny how that how you know movies today have really shaped the way we watch movies and the way we watch the credits? I mean, it doesn't matter how old the movie is. It seems like now I'm I'll even fast forward to the end of the credits just to make sure there wasn't something I missed because we've been so conditioned by you know movies over the last you know five years or so. I can say that hasn't affected me in that same way. Like I don't do that with older movies because I pretty much know that stuff didn't have things after the credits back then. Like I think very few movies even did before like Ferris Bueller. And even after that, it wasn't until like the Marvel uh movies and like, you know, the stuff in the late nineties that I think that really became a thing. But yeah. I do like knowing that you skip to the end of uh Enemy Territory from nineteen eighty seven just to see if there was a little stinger with <laughs> Ray Parker Jr. I was more hoping there'd be a vampire in there. You wanted to see like a coffin in the basement or something. I wanted to see Tony Todd come back to life. Yeah. With a one with a one liner at the end. Yeah. He took a while to die he when did. they finally did shoot him at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh last note I have here is my favorite line from the movie. When Ray Parker Jr. said it, I laughed out loud. I, I don't remember who he was talking to, but he was justifying why he was helping. Uh, the main character played by Gary Frank and uh, a character said something to the effect of like, why are you helping him, man? He's a white guy. And Ray Parker Jr.'s line was, I don't care if he's white, black or fucking fudge ripple, which <laughs> yes, I, I lost it when I heard that yeah. fudge ripple. <laughs> if somebody needs help. I'm going to help him. <laughs> All right. Anything else to say about enemy territory before we move on? Just, uh, I think uh, if you're curious of a a real um, look back into 1989 New York, I think this is a this is a pretty good viewing because I have a feeling it's that's exactly what that building looked like. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those movies where it feels like a heightened sense of reality just because of how insane it is. But I mean, it was the Wild West back then. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah. All right, uh, let's move on to film number two, jumping uh, close to two decades, or actually uh, close to three decades. To 2011, we have The Raid. I had seen this before, uh, Dax, had you? I had. I had seen it and didn't remember much about it except that it was in a building. Mm. Well, it definitely is that. Doug, is this was this a first time for you? This was a first time for me, and I would say, Dax, how could you not remember this movie? <laughs> well, I just remembered like 
Well, what I remembered of it was like the whole building scenario, and that was just like packed front to back with action, which is what it is. But as far as like, I'll just say like, uh, you know, like the brother angle, I didn't remember that. Like, there's just certain things. There was like that one like first, um, that one like first kind of ambush where those guys they shot down at those cops from like the next level up. You know, like that first kind of time the sh- cops get shot at inside yeah where they thin the herd of the uh the SWAT team yeah like I remember that but that was really it I was as far as like specifics but you know I remember the action being crazy just no specifics on that one it had been a while I mean I saw it like probably right when it came out so this is a movie where I'll say that any plot that is in there not super important no no not at all. Like at some point, the whole story with like, oh my god, it turns out that my brother is one of the bad guys and I'm one of the good guys. Like, I don't really know why that needed to be in there. Of course. Um, Millsy, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Why is it not the Raid Redemption? Uh, because the movie was originally called the Raid. Okay. And then the only reason it's not called that in the United States is because whatever studio released it in the U.S couldn't get the rights to the title of just The Raid. I guess there was another movie or something else being made, so they mm-hmm. had to put a subtitle on it. Hmm. They couldn't just call it The Raid, which is what they wanted to call it. But, I mean, the, the movie is The Raid. I do not re- accept it. Just like a it. random, pointless... Like, who's getting redeemed? If it's called The yeah. Raid Redemption, who's getting redeemed? Yeah, it's, it's a terrible subtitle. It's sure. not the main character, Rama. Because he's good the whole time. He's not being redeemed for anything. And you would almost think maybe it's his brother who's a bad guy, but he remains a bad guy at the end. Mm -hmm. Like, no one's getting redeemed. It's just one of those stupid fucking subtitles that's a single word that starts with an R, like rising or... Yeah. Returns, redemption, rising. Yeah. All those. Yeah. I got this from the library. And when I looked it up, it was just like the Raid Redemption. And I was like, oh, the sequel's called the Raid Redemption? Like, I didn't even remember that that was, it had the subtitle. Mm-hmm. So that was like a bit of confusion, which I agree is like a worthless subtitle for sure. I, I was the same way. I actually had to text Ryan. I'm like, wait, this is the right one, right? Because <laughs> I was confused. I had to look up on IMDb. And you know, the, the sad thing, Ryan, is as much as you hate it, you're going to have to call up the Raid Redemption in the title uh, and in the uh, notes for this episode. Otherwise, people aren't going to be sure if they have the right one either. <laughs> well, they can listen to the show and they'll have it cleared right up for them because they ain't calling it the Raid Redemption. <laughs> well, yeah, Doug, please uh, enlighten us. What did you think for your first time watch of the Raid? So, uh, you know, the good thing about this uh, show is that cursing is okay. I don't know if it's encouraged, but it's okay. So I, I'm just going to say my the first note that I had on here was fucking wow <laughs> that that was that was just looking at the notes that i have that's pretty much like the running theme is some kind of wow fucking wow uh all kinds of things like that mm-hmm. because uh this movie was uh this movie was fun i mean <laughs> it was brutal it was violent there was some crazy crazy shit in there but uh yeah i was digging like- it I remember, like I said, like I just kind of forgot a lot of bits. I remember like tons of cool hand-to-hand fighting. I forgot how bloody it is, like hyper-violent this movie is. Well, the thing I like about this movie is it takes a lot of like classic fighting styles, 
the main one is an Indonesian fighting style. I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but it's called Silat. And then it also has like judo and taekwondo and jujitsu and a bunch of other stuff in there. But it like takes these styles that you're used to seeing in like a very kind of acrobatic, like crouching tiger, hidden dragon or the matrix kind of way where it's Mm -hmm. almost more like a ballet and less of a fight scene. And then it like shows people really using them in a realistic fighting way. And so like, I remember one of the things that blew my goddamn mind the first time I saw it was when uh, Aiko Uwe as Rama, the lead character, is fighting some guys in a hallway with a knife. And it's showing like, like in most movies, you just stab someone and then you're done. But like to actually disable somebody in a fight, he'll like stab someone in the leg and then rake the knife Mm. down their legs. You're like severing tendons and stuff. Or Mm -hmm. he'll like put the knife in and then he'll like just tilt it sideways. So you're like popping flesh out Mm. and like he like using real abilities to like stop somebody from getting back up and coming at you again. Because uh, he's not necessarily out to kill everybody. He just, he's got tons of people coming at him and he has to put them all down. Mm-hmm. And I love that kind of realism and that shit like that. And there's over the top stuff in this too. Like one of the most holy shit, like I remember just like couldn't contain my voice when I saw this in the movie the first time is he's fighting the dude in the hallway, one of the uh, Machete gang members. And he's knocked somebody through a door and it like broke the door. And then he jumps backwards and pulls the guy's throat and he lands like his throat (laughs) on the shards at the bottom of the door. I remember sitting in the theater. I went and saw it with Brian when it was out and we had had a couple beers. And so I was like in a good mood to watch this movie. But I just remember being like, holy shit, when that happened, like could not believe what I'd seen. That was my exact reaction is it was a giant, oh, like literally in my notes, impaling dude's neck on door with like five exclamation points. That was one of the most brutal things I've seen because, you know, I mean, it just the idea of having that in there is is like one step further than you would expect any movie to go through. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have him get kicked through a door and then he's going to break his neck or you're going to do this and that. But like every point of violence and every death was like one step further than any sane person writing this movie would take yeah. it. And that's what was so like, I I mean, I feel bad calling a movie like this fun because I mean, clearly it is brutal. It is violent, it is bloody, but this is one of those movies you just watch and you're just kind of like, your mind is constantly just popping mm-hmm. at all of these things that are happening to people. And you just can't believe that they thought about taking it that one step further than you would have thought. Yep. I mean, the thing is, this. so basically the history behind this movie is that uh, Gareth Evans, uh, he's Welsh, I think, and uh, he's married to a woman of Indonesian and Japanese descent. And um, as like an aspiring filmmaker, his wife suggested that he go and make a documentary about the Salat fighting style in Indonesia. And when he got there, he met... Uh, Aiko, who plays Rama, he was working as a delivery man for a phone company at the time, Uh, like met him because he like practiced a lot and uh, ended up making a movie called Marintau, which I haven't seen and I really want to, which has a a couple of the same guys in it. And then uh, for his next movie, he wanted to make like a more dramatic action film in like a prison. And they just uh, didn't have the budget to be able to pull it off. So he was like, okay. 
I'm just going to make a movie that is nonstop action from beginning to end, and it'll be cheap because the cri- the criticisms that people had about his first movie, Marintau, is that while the action was great, it was backloaded and it took too long to get there. Mm. So he decided, I'm just going to make a movie that's action front to back. And when you're going to do that, it's like a criticism I had of John Wick 2, which was like, there's plenty of action in that movie, but it's all the same exact thing over and over again. And that's something that I think that they fixed to a degree in the third one by adding like the knife fight and the fight with the dogs and everything. But this movie, you know, it's just a bunch of guys in a building. You have to keep it fresh and have new, interesting things happening and keep the audience engaged. And by occasionally having an eye-popping thing like the the throat on the door, like that keeps someone like me or presumably you guys interested in what's going on when it's just a barrage of action the whole time. Oh, yeah. And Gareth Evans is incredibly good at that. And yeah, I just want to see this guy make more fucking action movies because this is like top tier stuff to me. You know, it it was relatively cheap. They made it with like a little over a million dollars US, I think. And if a guy can do what he did in this movie with that kind of budget, albeit it was in another company where it was probably cheaper to film. God, that's why this guy is like one of my favorite, like, I don't know how young he is, but like young kind of young gun directors these days. Yeah, he's uh he's pretty young. He's only directed ten things. So, yeah. You know, Ryan, you you talked about the fact that this is wall to wall action, and but one thing I really appreciated about this movie is the way that it set it up. Literally, that bus ride sets the entire stage. I mean, it it was the equivalent of an origin story in basically five minutes. The guy mm-hmm. kisses his wife. You know, newborn kid on the way. 30 seconds, he's out the door. You're on the bus, that five minutes setting a stage that you guys are going to see the worst people you've ever seen. This is going to be the most dangerous situation ever. We're going to go in, shit may hit the fan, and then it starts. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was a fast introduction. You knew everything you needed to know in five minutes. And then from there, you just sat back and just had your mind blown. Yeah. It's a relatively short movie. It's only an hour and 40 minutes, which these days feels like you know, half the runtime of every other, like, movie that you see in the theaters these days, especially for, like, an action film where, like, stuff does not need to be, like, two hours and 15 minutes, two and a half hours all the time. Like, there are movies that, you know, that's cool, but this was, like, the perfect length for what it is, and, you know, it it didn't have to be bogged down by all the tropes of the typical American, like, Hollywood action movie with, you know, he's got his wife and you know that he's got a baby on the way. So that's just an extra added incentive for you wanting him to survive and live. But they don't have to go into it and have a ton of flashbacks. And there's no like him and his wife are having marital troubles. And there's no like <laughs> right. random right. girl that they meet and they have to drag along and keep yeah. safe and have like jokey shit with the whole right. time. And or the, the wife doesn't come to the building to save him. Or... Yeah. It's just, you know, the bare bones uh, plot. And I can imagine how some people would have a problem with that. But, I mean, if you want a good action movie, I mean, this is, like, the like right. n- next to action movie in the dictionary should be the poster for this movie. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, it's true. Ryan, if this movie was any longer, you would have needed a cigarette at the end of it. And that was if you didn't already. <laughs> I'll tell you, man. Uh, one of my favorite fight scenes in all of cinema is uh, Rama and uh, his brother versus Mad Dog at the end. Oh, yeah. That scene, just 
how nonstop and just knockdown drag out it is and just how desperate it feels and just how fucking crazy scary mad dog is after the one other fight that you've seen him have in the movie i love that actor too yayan ryan um he's great uh he's been in a couple of other gareth evans things uh him and aiko who plays rama made like a small appearance in uh star wars the force awakens as the members of the kanja club on han solo's ship so those guys are like together a lot and now anytime one of them is in a movie and not the other one i'm kind of disappointed like in John Wick 3, uh, Yayan is one of the last few people that um, John Wick fights at the end of the film before the final fight. Oh, really? Like, the, one of the last two people that he fights is uh, Yayan, and I was disappointed that the other guy he fights at the same time wasn't Ico. Like, I love mm. seeing those guys in movies together. Mm-hmm. They're like a package deal for me now, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have nothing bad to say about this movie, Yeah, personally. I mean, it, it, it so quickly tells you what, like Doug was saying, like what you're about to get. And then it starts delivering the crazy action so quickly that I feel like just immediately, you know, like, oh, this is the kind of movie that I was expecting that like, this is what I want. I just want nonstop endless crazy action. Mm-hmm. When that kid hits the light, basically alerting everybody that the cops are there, mm. you knew it was on. Like it, it's yeah. over. <laughs> Everyone at that point is fucked like you know this is going downhill fast and just that tension when all those guys realized their day is done it's like oh you knew you were in for a treat right that's uh i also i love that the two-on-one fight as well i mean it's you'd be crazy not to like that one it's so good but early on like um it might be like the first like hallway fight where rama is going against a bunch of guys with the billy club yeah which is amazing. I love mm-hmm. that one. That That's like in contention for my favorite one, just because you don't see a lot of fights with that kind of weapon. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's like the earliest introduction in the movie too, to like what you're about to get. So, <laughs> Yeah, I love that as the movie goes on, it's like he runs out of things to fight with because at the beginning they're fully strapped and they have guns and there's like a lot of shooting at the beginning. And then they like run out of ammunition and then there's the fight with the billy club and then the fight with the knife and then he goes up against the uh, machete gang with nothing mm-hmm. like it's it's like five guys with machetes which give you a pretty good reach as far as a bladed weapon is concerned and he's got nothing and i love little things like him reaching for knives and then people stopping him from grabbing them so he constantly has to be like you know rethinking how he's going to approach things and yeah, like I've always gone on and on, like when it comes to fight scenes in movies about like cause and effect, and the choreography is all so well done in this. And the reason for that is because, um, in addition to working with like uh, Yayan, is a uh, like a choreographer, and he actually used to teach Silat for the Indonesian military back in the day. Oh, wow. Um, so he's really good at like working out the fight scenes, but then on Gareth's end. There's a lot of this footage out there that you can see, especially on the Blu-ray, where uh, they do a um, like a live like test reenactment of every fight scene, including the camera angles. Like he does a test version of every fight scene before he goes and films the real thing. Mm. So they work it all out beforehand, and he's not just going off of like you know still storyboards or something. Mm-hmm. And I think you see all of that up on screen. 
Oh, nice. Even stuff like uh, I was watching some of the special features for it after I rewatched it the other night. And the scene where they like chop a hole in the floor and then they go down through the floor. There's that awesome part where the camera like follows Rama as he like jumps Mm -hmm. down. And then it's like the camera goes from one room into the next room and continues following the fight. I mean, the movie was relatively cheap and they didn't have any kind of crazy rigs. So they just had a cameraman above the hole and a cameraman below the hole. And they had a rope tied to the back of the guy (laughs) above the hole. And they lowered him and he just like passed off the camera to the other cameraman who just kept the scene going. And awesome. Just inventive shit like that just makes me love this movie even more. Like just seeing that behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like you could you could come across people that would detract from it for lack of plot and all that to which i would say like this just isn't the movie for you mm-hmm. but yeah for me it's like i got nothing really bad to say about it. it's just it's that crazy and enjoyable you know and it i think the gore and like the real like hard r action is the way it should be like i think it should be as gory and brutal as it is yeah every movie doesn't need that but this movie no, it certainly it, you know it's good to have that yeah yeah i mean as as the as the guy who like i saw the matrix in the theater back when it came out but then the first time i rented it from the library i just sat in front of the tv and fast forwarded all the action scenes to watch them again this is like the kind of movie that was made for me <laughs> well the thing about it though you even look for as good as the action is can we just talk about how good that wall scene is I mean, when these guys are behind the wall and the tension that's oh, built up and right. trying to keep mm. the guy quiet who's, you know, near dying and, you know, agony and, and, and the guy coming in with the machete and seeing right off the bat that that was a bullshit wall mm-hmm. and knowing it because, I mean, their their job is hiding drugs or hiding people or doing all this stuff. I mean, just a terrific amount of tension in such a small portion of the movie but did a really good job of, you know, keeping you interested on top of just the nonstop violence. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just even the fact that in addition to, like, the knife goes through the wall, cuts Rama's face, and then, like, he doesn't make a sound, the added part where he puts his hand up there and he wipes the blood off as the blade is pulled out of his face so the guy wouldn't see the blood on his machete. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fucking awesome. Good stuff, man. Since everybody here watched The Raid Redemption, did you guys have the score by Mike Shinoda from Linkin mm. Park? I did. I saw that at the end. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's it's fine. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, when I saw it in the theater, I believe it was like the limited release where it had the original score. Mm. So I've watched it with the Mike Shinoda music, but this time I went back and I changed it on the Blu-ray to the original score, and I actually think I prefer it. It's just a little less in your face, and it just kind of flows with the movie more for me. Oh, I'd be interested to hear. I mean, I like. It's one of those things like I immediately was like, "Oh, that sounds like Lincoln Park," and I was like, "Oh wait, mm-hmm. I remembered that." You know, he worked, and that's on kind this. of the problem for me is it's like too recognizable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not that it's bad or anything like that, but yeah. then it's disappointing to see like half of the special features on the Blu-ray involve Mike Shinoda. And I'm like, get out of here, man. You had nothing to do with the making of this movie. Mm -hmm. They just wanted another thing for American audiences to identify with. And I don't need you on the Blu-ray with uh, Gareth Evans. It's certainly a draw at the time, I'm sure. So, Yeah. Thankfully, this hasn't come to pass yet, but apparently ever since the day 
it was released in the United States, there have been plans for an American remake. And proof of why it wouldn't make sense at all for me is that the uh, the first person that was originally cast and has since left the project to play the lead character is Taylor Kitsch. Ugh. Nothing against Taylor Kitsch, but this yeah. movie was made for people who know how to do martial arts. 100%. Like I said, Yayan is a choreographer, and he used to train the military in how to use Indonesian fighting styles. Aiko has trained for years to use Silat. The guy who, the sergeant who goes up against Mad Dog and uh, dies earlier on in the movie, uh, he is like a judo champion. Like, he's won, like, medals and shit for his fighting style. And just imagining an American remake where it's just all, like, fake choreographed fighting. I mean, I love that shit, too. But do not remake a movie with fighting that's this good with actors instead of, like, martial artists. Just don't do it. Right. You, you know, 100% on that. Because it's funny. I, I was thinking the same thing as I was watching this. I was thinking to myself... You know, I'm surprised this was early on. I was thinking, you know, I'm surprised this hasn't been remade yet. And then mentally I was trying to think, well, who would they put in this? And literally by, you know, that 20 minute or so mark when stuff really gets going, I was like, oh, now I know why they haven't remade this because (laughs) it would suck ass because there's no way anyone that's a U.S. actor could do this kind of stuff. I mean, I immediately thought I'm like, okay, thinking, you know, a guy that, you know, directs Daredevil or whatever, you know, and put John Barenthal in there and that'd be good and nice. But it would not have the pace or the electricity that the none of this was spontaneous, but it was so fluid and smooth Mm -hmm. and looked so legit that it looked like it was happening in that moment versus you compare a lot of the Marvel stuff, you know, which which, hey, we all know and love. But I mean, that stuff's choreographed. That's okay. But this didn't look choreographed. This looked like batshit crazy going off. And it was good. And you're like, not going to get that in the U.S. This this level of lack of a budget works in its favor so much mm-hmm. too. Like like they clearly like built sets, but they built them like you know because like each apartment was like the roomiest apartment room you've ever seen. But it's perfect oh, for yeah. having a knockdown dragout fight. It was just open rooms with minimal furniture so that they could <laughs> yeah, like yeah. have a big open stage to fight right. in. Yeah. And it just feels like that felt like low budget enough to make me smile because it's just, yes, like they're going to get down to business now. <laughs> yeah. So now, now that said, though, cast it right now. Who are the uh, who are the four or five guys who's going to play the gang boss? Who would be, uh, you know, who would be those couple of, you know, four or five key characters if it was U.S. today? I'm going to say John Barenthal is uh, is the main guy. So who yeah, else? John Barenthal is I mean, Rama. Yeah, assuming he's like can do all this, the fighting, absolutely. But um, his name would be like Steve or something because it's in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would, I would, uh, the, the kind of crooked police lieutenant, mm-hmm. I would say Kurt Russell just because I love Kurt Russell. And why not? <laughs> All I right, can see all that. Right. Man, who plays Mad Dog? Like, who's really fucking scary? Oh, you know who would play fucking Mad Dog would probably be um, oh, what's his fucking name from uh, Vice Principals, the TV show with uh, <laughs> oh. Danny McBride, the other Vice Principal. Oh, uh, Walter Coggins. Yeah, Walter Goggins would be yeah, yeah. fucking Mad Dog. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. But yeah, I don't just it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just it's a horrible be. idea. 
Most recently, Joe Carnahan has been attached to direct, and I feel like he's been attached to direct a thousand things, and none of them ever end up happening. So hopefully that uh, trend continues. Very accurate. But uh, yeah, budget for this movie was one point one million. Worldwide box office and its theatrical run was only nine point one million, but that's still almost ten times, you know, return on investment. Mm-hmm. And then in the United States alone, it did nine point four million on uh, home video sales within like the first year of its release or something like that. So, uh, did get a sequel. Have either of you watched the sequel? No. Negative. Uh, I would encourage both of you to do so, but I would also encourage anyone who has seen The Raid and hasn't seen The Raid 2 yet to curb your expectations. Mm. Because what I had mentioned before about originally uh, Gareth Evans wanted to make like a a more dramatic film with action. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Raid 2 is over two hours. It's very slow and it's very much like a just like a kind of noirish procedural kind of undercover cop movie. And then at the end, there is fucking insane action. Like the last half hour or more of that movie is Mm -hmm. just what you wanted the whole time. But yeah, you know, good movie worth watching. Do not go in expecting the raid one all over again. Gotcha. All right. That's good to know. Notice though. All right, anything else on The Raid, or shall we move on to our third and final film? Let us move on. All right, finally, we have Dread from 2012. Inhabitants of Pinked Trees. This is Judge Dread. Let him talk. In case some people have forgotten, there's a block operates under the same rules as the rest of the city. Mama is not the law. I am the law. Mama is a common criminal. Guilty of murder. Guilty of the manufacture and distribution of the narcotic known as slow-mo. And as of now, under sentence of death. Any who obstruct me in carrying out my duty will be treated as an accessory to our crimes. You have been warned. And as for you, Mama, judgment time. This really does feel like, you know, a slightly sci-fi remake of uh, mm-hmm. of the raid. In a manner of speaking, just the premises are so similar. With like a yeah. a drug kingpin at the top of a building, and like they have control over all of the people living in the slums inside, and. So good guys, like cops, just have to fight their way up to get to the bad guy. Not that I'm complaining because, you know, if we were going to get an American remake of The Raid, honestly, Dread is probably the best thing we could have hoped for. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, I like, like, remake adjacent, where it's just, like, takes, like, just, like, the little buttery essence of The Raid, like a tall building in action, and then, you know, sprinkles some sci-fi on it, so... Mm -hmm. But the good thing is, instead of trying to replicate the fighting stuff, knowing it wouldn't work, they just break out more guns. Yeah. And I'm yeah. okay with that. I'm fine. Perfectly fine with that. Yeah, this is maybe the third time I've seen this film. I saw it in the theater. I've seen it at least once on Blu-ray before. Honestly, I think I might have liked this movie more now than ever before, and I've always liked this movie. I just, 
I think this is a, another really fun movie. It doesn't have quite the same pace and the same amount of action as The Raid, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's close for a more, you know, artillery-heavy American yeah. film. If you just, and you, you get some good, I think, like, some good sci-fi world building and everything in this one mm-hmm. that I'm always a fan of, as you yeah. can tell from prior episodes, but... Um, not even particularly like a Judge Dredd fan. I mean, I've never read a Judge Dredd comic or I've seen the Stallone one, but I, I don't hold it against this one. Mm-hmm. And um, Well, since you mentioned Stallone, can I pitch something really fast? Hit it. The end of this movie, when Mama calls in the corrupt judges, how awesome would it have been if that main corrupt judge was played by Stallone? Oh. And you never that, saw his face. Hands down, would have been awesome. I think that guy was trying to pretend to be Stallone. For <laughs> I was thinking about that as I was watching it this time, and I just thought, man, that would be amazing. Yeah, so fun, no. funny thing is, did either of you rewatch uh, Judge Dread after watching Dread just just because? No, I would. I would still like to do that, but I did not. I did. Yeah, I've seen it. Since I saw this in the theater for the first time, but I didn't rewatch it like this week, no. Yeah, I watched it like two nights ago. <laughs> and how does it hold up? Eh, we'll get there. It's very 90s. <laughs> um, I love, like I saw this in the theater not knowing what to expect and loved it and still love it. Like it's, it just, it sets out to do exactly what I want to do. I wanted it to. I love even just like little things like you never see Dredd's face. He's really wearing the helmet the whole time. I think Carl Urban is perfect as Judge Dredd. Allow me to use this opportunity to read a quote from Carl Urban, which just makes me love him more than I already did. Please do. Uh, On the helmet, Carl Urban said, he is supposed to be the faceless representative of the law, and I think that is part of his enigma. You wouldn't get to the end of a Sergio Leone Western and go, God, I didn't even know the character's name. It's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, Perfect description. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like not knowing, like only knowing um, Clint Eastwood's character as like Blondie throughout the entire like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly mm-hmm. doesn't affect how awesome he is at all. <laughs> Can I just say I I love Carl Urban, especially because I feel like he's he's a huge like sci-fi genre fan because he does like he's been in so many movies that fit in like the sci-fi kind of realm mm-hmm. i mean just even like quickly looking at a list like it's in chronicles of riddick lord of the rings doom star trek uh dread what else well Thor he's ragnarok. in Thor ragnarok yeah i mean he I've, i i want to say that i think out in like california or something there was a couple years back there was like carl urban con where it was like huh. a, a film festival of like just his like sci-fi movies God, just, i would go to that would, so fast uh, in a in a heartbeat yeah, we could so, do a trio of three carl urban sci-fi movies all right yeah i think we could, we could get a couple out of that so yeah yeah <laughs> stay tuned listeners <laughs> I just think, you know, Carl Urban, it's just, he just feels like he just really dives into these roles. I mean, you look at the way, you know, the, you know, he, he did, you know, with Star Trek and everything and taking in the Bones personality and same thing with Judge Dredd in this case. I think, you know, he really puts himself into that character, which which I really appreciate. Um, it was interesting, though. I saw this in the theater, too, and I loved this movie in the theater. Uh, the rewatch, I still liked it a lot, but I found that, you know it seemed like the pace was a little bit slower than I remembered. And I mean, I did still, you watch it after the raid? 
No, that's the surprising thing is I actually didn't. I watched it first. And for some reason in my head, I thought to myself, you know, I was I was interested in seeing the raid, but I wasn't particularly excited to see it because I know how much, you know, you've loved the movie over the years. And part of me was kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it, but I wasn't excited to see it. You know, and I'm watching Dread again, which I saw in the theater and loved in the theater. You know, I'm watching it again. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you know, I still really like this movie, but it just didn't have the pace I remembered, but still really enjoyed it. And then I watched The Raid and then I was like, oh, yeah, Dread is not as good as The Raid. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's but it's still a good movie. It's still an enjoyable movie. And, you know, and that's OK. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's. It's it's kind of like what I would call the best we could hope for if they did like an American version of the raid because it's a very similar premise. But, you know, I think that what you lose in like just the wow factor of a lot of the action and there is still some really cool action stuff in this movie, I think mm-hmm. it you make up for in like premise and, you know, there's yeah. a little more budget for like set design. And oh, yeah. um, I think. Mama is like a cool villain as well. Not that there's anything wrong with the the main bad guy, the the drug lord in the raid, but he doesn't do a ton, you know. Right. Well, he doesn't but, do uh, a ton other than shooting those couple of guys in the head, running yeah, out of a, ammo, and then grabbing a hammer and bludgeoning the guy to death. <laughs> that's a good shorthand for this is a bad dude and we want to see him dead. I'll agree. True, true. I do like, in Dread, they give you that opening scene where he's on the bike and he's chasing those guys. Like they set up uh, the slow-mo, the drug, mm-hmm. you know, like pretty quickly and easily. I like all that. I mean, it pretty like well establishes like how the, the judges operate, which I love. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like Judge Anderson was like a good sidekick for him. I love her in this movie. Yeah. Like the character, um, Olivia Thurlby, not super familiar with. Uh, I've only seen her in one or two things, but she also... You know, she's working, but it feels like this could have been, like, one of the movies that would have, like, set her up in Hollywood, and then it just didn't fire like she thought it would Mm -hmm. or something. Um, But I think she's awesome as the character. Like, I fully buy her. Oh, for sure. And, yeah, like, the, you know, there's so much telepathy and, like, telekinesis in in movies that, you know, they use it kind of sparingly here. I like the way that they do it. Um, all the sci-fi stuff feels like very lived in and mm-hmm. realistic and not like too ridiculous and over the top. Yeah. Like the, the most over the top thing in the movie, I think, is the slow-mo and just how obnoxious the look of it is, which I like. Yeah. But it does feel a little bit like, you know, this this movie, it's called Dread. But when it was being released in theaters, it was known in the trailers and the posters as Dread 3D. And you just know that they were pushing oh, the slow-mo right. stuff for 3D. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, you know, the slow-mo stuff, I mean, clearly they were in love with that. And at the time, I mean, we all saw it in the theater. I know that at the time, I thought it looked really cool and I was into it, too. And it definitely got overused at some point. You could tell they kind of fell in love with it. But kind of kind of going back to what you were talking about with Judge Anderson, I agree. I thought she was great. In fact, that was one thing when I rewatched Judge Dredd with Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I even made a note of is, you know, it, Judge Anderson is a big part of the Judge Dredd mythos, especially in, you know, the, the Brian Bland issues that came out. Um, I didn't, I'm not as familiar with the 2000 AD stuff as I was the later stuff. And Judge Anderson is a really important character. So the mm-hmm. fact that they had her in there and did her so well, I, I was a big fan of. Yeah. But at least the original Judge Dredd movie had Rob Schneider. Oh, Ugh. Jesus. Ugh. 
Yeah, no, she was great. And, you know, so they've they've talked about how uh, Alex Garland, who wrote this film, you know, had a trilogy in mind because everybody in Hollywood has a trilogy in mind for everything. But, um, you know, I was reading about his plans and uh, in the second film, he wanted to explore Mega City one more. And I'm assuming that's like a budgetary thing. Like this movie had a budget, depending on where you look, of like 40 to 50 million. And the entire thing, for the most part, is in one building. And I imagine if this had been like a success and they got a bigger budget, then they could have explored the city more. Uh-huh. And then for the third film, he wanted to do Judge Death, which was it's like one of the you know big villains for Judge Dredd. And it's a shame that we'll probably never get to see any of that. But yeah. uh, this movie uh, only made uh, $35.6 million, I believe, worldwide. And you would think that the UK audiences would come out more for this movie. It made more there than in the US, but still. I mean, not that, you know, I don't have any idea, but I feel like it just had, something had to have gone wrong somewhere for it to make so little. Like it's poor marketing or bad trailer. I don't really know, but. I know Carl Urban has blamed the marketing partially, but I honestly think it was the 90s Judge Dredd movie. And that's like, you know, if there's like a bad X-Men movie, there's still tons of other X-Men in American pop culture that people know, so they're not judging the X-Men based off of one thing. But mm-hmm. while there's like tons of Judge Dredd comics, American audiences largely only know the Judge Dredd movie. Like that's the only point of reference they have. So I think people are just like, oh, I didn't like Judge Dredd with Sylvester Stallone. I don't want more of that. Yeah, no, I agree. That would be my guess. So here's the thing, though, to, to think about, though, guys, is I, I think it came down to a couple of specific things. I think, you know, kind of like, you know, you were just talking about and I talked about earlier, Judge Dredd is not as well known from a hero standpoint. So that's strike one for as interesting as Dredd was as a movie. And I enjoyed it. You guys enjoyed it. I think more moviegoers than not from a blockbuster standpoint, this is not a blockbuster movie. It's not made like a blockbuster movie. It's not doesn't look like a blockbuster movie. That was one thing. If you go back and rewatch Judge Dredd with Sylvester Stallone, which did make money, it mm-hmm. looked great. Mega City One looked awesome. They had a great feel for what that was and what that looked like, as well as some of the secondary characters that they used. At the end of the day, Dredd, the, the one that we're talking about for our review here, it didn't look like a blockbuster movie. It didn't. It wasn't written like a blockbuster movie. It's starring a comic book character that American audiences are not as familiar with. And let's be honest, Carl Urban, while it seems like a great dude, and I think he's a great actor, is not a recognizable actor. And you look yeah. at those things in a line, you're True. looking at a movie that's not yeah. making money. Man, I feel like yeah. it should have made $80 million personally. You know, like it could have hit that, I feel. But I don't know. It's, it's For all those reasons, I mean, you're definitely right, Doug. I mean... Yeah, there's enough CG and stuff in this, like, required to bring even just the interior of that building to life, much less, Mm -hmm. like, an entire city. Like I said, they didn't really tackle all that much, but, yeah, $50 million budget, like, the kind of script and everything this is, what you were talking about, Doug, it feels like it should have probably been, like, a $30 budget, but then who knows what it would have looked like, probably significantly worse than it does, so. Right. It's just, you you look back, and and are you guys okay if I sidetrack to Judge Dredd with Stallone for a minute? Please. All right. You look at Judge Dredd with Stallone. First of all, still not a great movie, but there are some things that it did really well. Mega City One looked fantastic. 
You look at some of the effects and some of the things they use, the ABC robot, super solid. You look at uh, staying, you know, somewhat faithful to the comic with Mean Machine, looked like a million bucks and, hmm. you know, created a feel. Now, you know, the ABC robot, something like that may have fit in Dread. Mean Machine wouldn't have been a fit with the way the current universe was being set. And that's part of the problem with this Dread movie. If you think about it in relating to the comic and relating to the UK, there is no judge, you know, death. There is no mean machine. You see very little of Mega City One. You're not seeing, you know, any of the dark judges or even an introduction to any of those things. So a lot of these characters and scenarios and things that these fans have grown up with aren't there. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if a Spider-Man movie takes place in nothing but a building, you're missing out on part of what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. Okay, if, you know it takes away some of that. It neuters it. If Spider-Man isn't fighting anyone, but just gang members, that's not really Spider-Man. It's Batman, but it's hmm. not Spider-Man. And, you know, with judge dread, you know, sure. He's, you know, in dread rather, uh, he's fighting criminals, but there's nothing particularly exciting or spectacular or different. That's going to draw those audiences. And that was something that the Stallone vehicle, for as bad as that movie was, and let's let's be honest, the biggest problem is probably Rob Schneider, but that was a kind of a necessary evil of the 90s in that time period. But <laughs> yeah. outside yeah, of that, that sidekick character I was talking yeah, about earlier. It it had some good elements and some things in that movie that if you rewatch it now, I think you guys would would appreciate outside of some poor choices and, and some some issues, obviously. Yeah, I don't have disdain for that movie, and I can watch and enjoy any of the movies you mentioned earlier, Judge Dredd, Tank Girl, Barbed Wire, like mm -hmm. as bad as all of those are, like, I can still sit down and watch and enjoy those films, but I think that the real distinction here is, like you're saying, this isn't like a, this Dredd is not like a blockbuster film, it right. is and kind of always was meant to be, I guess, a cult film, and you know, cult films are called cult films because they're not blockbusters. Yeah. Right. Um, so mean, it's like you get a really good movie, but at the expense of, you know, success, I guess, or at least like yeah. wide notoriety. Yeah. I, I think if, if I were to boil it down, I would say like Judge Dredd is going to do huge because it's Stallone in 1995, where this is Carl Urban in 2012. I think <laughs> that's like the main difference. Yeah, but I yeah, would like I, to watch it, Judge Dredd again. I'm not. I don't knock it either. I mean, it's been so long since I've seen it, and I do remember Rob Schneider. But oh, it's like, no. Don't don't be confused. It's not great. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but, but it's still, but it still has some pretty cool things in there. <laughs> if you were going to pick an actor, you know, we're not going like Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt here. But like, is there someone you think either of you could have replaced Carl Urban and potentially brought? more of a fan base or a crowd like without <laughs> yeah. shooting for the stars and ben, picking like the biggest name ben affleck <laughs> hmm. i mean Maybe. circa like 2012 like who's like a but it would it be the, still the same thing they never take the mask off well I that's mean... what i'm kind of thinking like would that affect people's enjoyment if they went to see it because of that person probably yeah but does that get them in the door anyways you i don't know, know. you know yeah, I just love the fact that he never takes the helmet off because it's the antithesis of the early 2000s superhero movie sure. where Spider-Man had to take his mask off constantly and like Wolverine never wore a mask in the first place. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I wouldn't change anything about this movie. It's, it's yeah. unfortunate there's not more because I actually am a big fan of Alex Garland, so I think he could 
could have make, written a great trilogy. Yeah. I think I think if Dread looked like the Fifth Element, it would have done, you know, gangbusters. You know, mm. because I think Carl Urban was was perfect for the role. Yeah. I mean, I you know, his Judge Dread was spot on. But the movie visually just wasn't interesting enough for for audiences. It was interesting enough for me. I mean, again, I saw it in the theater. I dug it. I really enjoyed the movie and I still mm. like it today. But if it would have looked like the fifth element, for example, you know, and just, you know, crazy and a lot of stuff going on with Mega City One and more interesting, then I think it would have gone a lot further. And and it's hard to, you know, look at the budget that Dread uh, that Dread has. And and honestly, I, I hear the budget was that high and I'm shocked it was that high because it didn't look like it to me. I don't know where mm. that money went. It looks like well, I'm on IMDb. They say the budget was estimated at thirty five. Worldwide gross forty one, which I don't is that what you said already, Ryan? I'm not sure. Uh, see, I saw different numbers in different places. I quoted thirty five point six million, which came from Box Office Mojo. Wikipedia said forty one point five gross, mm. and budget. I've seen wide variations, but I, mm. I mean, I don't know if Box Office Mojo yeah, is more reliable than anybody yeah. else. But considering that's the whole point of that website, I went with them, which yeah. was fifty. I gotcha. But yeah, um, it's too bad. Yeah. One kind of unusual thing that I read about this movie kind of behind the scenes that I had never heard before uh, I wrote down, which I think is kind of interesting is. Uh, so the director of this movie is a guy named Pete Travis. Does anybody know who the hell that is? No, sir. Nope. Uh, the only thing I recognized that he directed is the movie Vantage Point that had like uh, Matthew Fox in it mm. like back in 2008. Oh, they, like uh, Dennis Quaid was in that too, wasn't he? Yeah, like a political thriller kind of thing. Yeah. Which really made me wonder, like, why the hell did they choose him to direct this movie? So uh, during the editing phase, Pete Travis was removed from the editing room, uh, I guess because they weren't happy with what he was doing and he was causing problems. So Alex Garland took over the edit and then requested to be credited as co-director, despite the fact that at that point he had never directed a movie and allegedly didn't actually film any of Dread. Oh. Now, not long after that, uh, the two of them, the Pete Travis and Alex Garland, released a co-statement to the press, which just sounds like a bunch of bullshit posturing, minimalizing their co- uh, conflict. And um, said, like, oh, no, everything's okay. But uh, Garland did not continue to pursue the co-director thing. And it really makes me wonder what was actually going on behind the scenes. Because Carl Urban, who was obviously there for the entire filming process, in 2018, he was quoted as saying that he thinks that Dread should be considered Alex Garland's directorial debut. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if he's saying that because of how he saved it during the edit. Or if he actually was, like, on set, like, doing something more significant than anybody is letting on. But I just thought that was a really interesting, unusual thing, like, behind-the-scenes tidbit. Yeah, very. My final note is that there has been talk ever since this movie of a sequel TV series. As of 2017, which ain't that recent anymore, Carl Urban still was hinting that he would be willing to star in, like, a a TV show for Netflix or someone because I'd watch it. I'd be pumped to watch oh, that. Fuck. Yeah. I would be all over it. Oh yeah. But alas, something tells me it's not going to happen. <clears throat> mm-hmm. 
But uh, anything else about Dread before we uh, cap this bad boy off? I think we've about covered it. Nah, I think that it gets it. All right. Shall we talk some posters? Please do it. All right. Well, first up, we have Enemy Territory. Um, now, the best quality version of this that I could find is still a little blurry because this movie is so uh, unknown and hard to get your hands on. But uh, painting with a bright city in the background, which really feels misleading because you never see that, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that New like, York skyline, kinda, yeah, Manhattan in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, what do we think of this poster? I mean, it's got a guy with an Uzi, which, you know, I'm always going to like to see that from the <laughs> 80s. Um, it's pretty standard fare, you know. It doesn't tell you at all that they're they're actually battling their way out of a building. That's for sure. Yeah, no, but weird. it but it does. It has the best tagline ever. In enemy territory, they take no prisoners. <laughs> You've got to kill your way out. I can <laughs> hear that like with a movie guy voice on some trailer. I'd be curious what the movie trailer for this looked like. But I actually like <laughs> the tagline. Actually, I'm looking at the. It's hard to tell, but I think the logo was supposed to be a bunch of skyscrapers. Looks, looks like a bunch of tenements. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it looks like they have, like, little water towers and satellite dishes on top. But it is weird. Like, again, the title doesn't give any impression of the location that the movie takes place in. It Mm -hmm. shows that they're in New York City because of the background. But even the tagline, like, none of this gives the impression that the whole movie takes place in one building, which is kind of misleading. (laughs) But, you know, just visually, I like it as, like, a piece of artwork. Bad guys in the foreground good guys in the mid-ground and, you know, bright city lights in the background. Mm -hmm. It works. And I would like to see the updated Vinegar Syndrome cover. Oh, yeah. The the reversible slip sleeve. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm with you, baby. (laughs) Uh, Then we've got the raid. Mm -hmm. And the one that I sent you guys, you'll notice, does not say redemption on it because this is the original poster. It's hardcore. Doug, he doesn't want any part of that redemption. There's no just, redemption for Millsy tonight. Part of me wishes at the end of the day that I had watched the wrong Raid movie just because of that confusion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure. I imagine there's another movie out there called The Raid, but yeah, for whatever reason, they couldn't use it at the time. Mm-hmm. I like this poster. I mean, it tells you what you're in for. Yeah, it's pretty simple and like the kind of modern Photoshoppy look of it does look generic enough that if I didn't know the movie and I flipped by this on Netflix, I would think, oh, that's just some cheap piece of trash I don't want to watch. Because mm-hmm. there's so many, I mean, just, it has just kind of, I don't know. Like, knowing the movie, I'm fine with it. But if I hadn't seen it, I really think I would overlook this in a second. Yeah. Yeah, same for me. I think it's kind of nondescript looking. You know, you talked about how the last one looked a little vague in terms of, you know, where does it even take place? I mean, I don't know he's going to go inside the building. How do I know he's not going in there for safety? You know, because he's everything's going to pot outside. It really doesn't do a great job of telling me what's going on either. Yeah. I just think that, you know, whereas enemy territory was at least like a piece of appealing art in a void, mm-hmm. like regardless of what the movie's about. This, you know, it's kind of dreary and I, I think know. this one I like this one more than you guys. I think it's very feels to me like very in your face. Like 2011 <laughs> but i don't know i like the the giant title and everything and to me this tells me like this guy's going in that building <laughs> yeah to get his raid on so <laughs> works for me 
When there's nowhere left to run or hide, you fight or die. Yeah. That's your tagline for that one. Mm-hmm. And finally, Dread, and this one is from the theatrical release, because you'll notice it's called Dread 3D on the poster. Right. Judgment is coming. I mean, this one, you know, is technically misleading, because it looks like the whole entire city's on fire. <laughs> yeah. But you got peach trees in the background. I mean, it's, you know, what else do you do? But I don't know. I like this one. It's pleasing to the eye. It's got its, you know, its hints of red throughout with the title and his helmet. So. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's a good shot. I actually really, we didn't really get into it, but I really like the costume yeah. in the movie. I think the, oh, the yeah. costume is fantastic. So it's pretty front and center. I mean, this this uh, tells you all, all you got to know, I think. I don't know. I mean, so. I think you kind of look at it, and I, I think what you're seeing here is there's a challenge in how do you portray a feeling of action and what's going to happen when you're in in basically a single location. You know, this is something where all this action is taking place in one specific location. I think these three posters are a really good job of illustrating how hard that is Hmm. to actually portray. I mean, how do you do that in one static image? How do you take one static image to portray that shit goes down in this building? Mm -hmm. I would say if you're going just based on that criteria, the raid is the best one. (laughs) I just don't find it as visually appealing. And it's got that kind of like Photoshoppy gross look to it to me. Mm-hmm. The Dread poster, it just feels like he should be Catwoman or Batman or something, like with him perched on the corner of the roof, like standing there triumphantly like that. It mm-hmm. doesn't, you, like, you know what I wish the poster for this would have been? Just a close-up of his face and his, his fist and he's about to punch you. <laughs> and uh, just the tag or the line from the comic, I assume you'll remember this because it's pretty classic, Doug gaze into the fist of dread oh yeah when he punches (laughs) through uh judge death's Uh, face (laughs) well especially where you know one of the big sell jobs in this movie to comic fans was oh this is dread he's gonna keep his mask on that was like the number one thing that they pushed through this entire thing is this is dread he keeps his mask on for the entire movie then yeah i mean having just one badass close-up it just not even his entire mask, but just like from about halfway of the visor down with just that constant frown that Carl Urban had for the entire thing. Just that <laughs> scowl of a frown, that just that look just from half visor down and just dread, you mm. know, justice is coming. Would have looked badass. Then it doesn't mm. matter where it takes place. You know that he is there to punish some people. The I only think, thing I would say is, is that not pretty much exactly yeah. what the Stallone Dread poster was? Was, was just a I was going to say, thing. yeah, I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what You know what? what that now that you mentioned that, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got to go one more, uh, one, one back for one second. So I watched two Judge Dread movies in the span of a week, and neither of them used Anthrax's I Am The Law, which, first of all, fucking rules. Second of all, is based around Judge Dredd. And third of all, you could argue introduce Judge Dredd to a number of fans here in the U.S. So regardless of what happens here, I want Anthrax's I Am The Law to be a bumper music for this, either at the start or at the end, because it mm. fucking rocks. <laughs> we'll we'll, talk, that, to our, we we'll talk to our editors and see. <laughs> um, maybe I can put a bed of it under you talking about it just then. <laughs> Just yes. like reaching a crescendo as he talks. <laughs> Respect the face, here you with blood. 
Yeah, like even the most recent Godzilla movie had Godzilla play during the credits. They couldn't put Mm -hmm. uh, the Judge Dredd song at the end of Dredd 3D. Yeah. So yeah, I honestly favorite poster of the three of these just because of the artwork is probably enemy territory for me. Wow. Um. Yeah, not me. I'm going dread on this one. That is the most appealing to me. I would hang. I would hang dread in my in in my uh, TV movie room or whatever. I would hang enemy territory above my television (laughs) just so people would go, "What the fuck is that?" And I could pull my laser disc off my shelf <laughs> and show it to them. Uh, like, yeah, I, I don't have a laser disc player, but I have the laser disc <laughs> itself. I, I'm with Ryan. I'll, I'll take enemy territory's poster on my wall. I love it. I don't. I don't hate it at all. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Uh, I believe it's that time then. It is indeed. Doug, you get to be only the fourth person to ever do by borrow burn. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do we let him go first? Didn't we make Tony go first? Um, probably. Is that a thing we want to force this on our guests, or I do don't know. We give them a choice? Doug, would you like to go first? No. All right. All right. Make make him go first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'll go first. All right. Enemy territory deserves more recognition and eyes on it than it gets, but easily the weakest of the three of these if for no other reason than because now i can't imagine how much better it would be if it had vampires thanks to doug Mm -hmm. love the other two just you know both great movies despite how similar would rewatch any either of them anytime but uh for me you know how much of a an action martial arts purist i am the raid is just like a jaw-droppingly impressive movie to me. Not an incredible plot, not necessarily even incredible dramatic performances because there's very little, like, dialogue in the movie. (laughs) But just the amount of action, the variety of action, the level of talent that went into all of it, and uh, it's just such a tight tight package of uh action movie perfection to me dread you know awesome movie lots of cool concepts but uh, it just does not fill me with pure unadulterated joy the way that the raid does so i am going to burn enemy territory borrow dread and buy the raid very nice very nice Uh, i'll go next uh, it it's certainly not to be tossed into the sun, but <laughs> I would say the burn goes to enemy territory. Not that it's even particularly that bad. I actually feel like we said earlier, it feels like a cult classic that no one's seen. So I did enjoy myself watching it. Mm-hmm. You come down to the next two, you've got full on action with the raid. You've got like... Still a fair decent amount of action with the sci-fi twist with Dread. Um, And for me, as much as I enjoy both of these movies, I could, I think um, I get much, I get more enjoyment out of Dread. I just think with the bits of action that are in that, I love the world building. And I really just love Carl Urban that much that I just think anytime he's acting with the action or he's talking or he's kind of 
going back and forth with Anderson, like all that stuff. I really enjoy. Not to say that, like, I don't think the raid needs any of that. The raid is like quote unquote perfect how it is. Like it should, there's, I'm glad to live in a world where there is a movie like the raid, (laughs) but you know, for those reasons I said, dread does it for me that much more. So burn enemy territory, borrow the raid by dread. Now, Doug's going to throw us for a loop and buy Enemy Territory, so mm, each of us I mean, buys a different film, and I can't It wait. would be amazing, but... You know what? I will tell you what, guys. If Enemy Territory had real vampires in it, <laughs> I would buy the shit out of that movie, because that would have been the best swerve ever. Uh, uh-huh. But but instead, sadly, Enemy Territory falls short. You know, at the end of the day, it's a it's a generic 80s... A uh, movie uh, in a in an age of a lot of generic movies from the eighties with low budgets, and this one fit right in. Uh, you know, kind of like you guys said, it's not like it was the worst movie ever. It just Mm-mm. it just is what it is. You know, I look at Dread, love Dread in the theater. Um, still really enjoy it now, but was surprised at how much the pace kind of fell off for me on the the later viewing. You know, still still into it, still like the character. Still would have really liked to have seen more. Um, of this universe in future films, even though it didn't work out. Um, but at the end of the day, the raid blew the doors off for me. You know, I was I was really surprised in a great way because, you know, when you hear how great a movie is for so long, you see it. There's that risk that, you know, the movie's not going to perform and it's not going to meet those expectations. But in the case, the raid absolutely did. There was some batshit stuff in there that, you know, I was just watching with a smile the whole time. So uh, for uh, that reason, I will definitely burn enemy territory. I will borrow Dread and watch it again down the line. I'll borrow it from Ryan when his house burns down and he saves his DVDs. <laughs> except except I couldn't, so I'll have to borrow it from Tony because you saved your comics. Yeah, I'll and have then, to borrow uh, it from somebody else when my house burns up. Yeah, I it, have your digital copy, I think, Millsy. So, I mean, we can work on something there, I guess. Excellent. Nice. And then uh, and then I'm going to uh, buy the raid, which, by the way, I almost did immediately after watching it. But since I just paid four bucks to rent it, I didn't want to turn around and spend 13 bucks to buy it on top of that. It didn't seem like a good value at that moment in time. (laughs) But you know what? Six months down the road, who knows? Maybe it'll be worth that 13 bucks. (laughs) Wait until it comes out on 4K. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I know. It's bad. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Well done, Doug. Thank you. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic guest, sir. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to do this and joining us for the show. Yeah, that was that was great. I'm perfectly fine being the odd man out on that because the raid is a great choice. But yeah. alas, that's how these things go. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, shall we pick our uh, theme for next time? We shall. Or shall we let Doug pick it? I should say. So, so how many choices do you guys have for numbers? Uh, right now, you can choose between 1 and 194. Hmm. Any number in there, we will watch the three movies mm-hmm. that you choose. I am going to say number 76. Oh, 76. The year of our Lord. And if it's, if it's been chosen, I am going to laugh. And then I'll choose a different one. And <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The, the numbers awesome. get recycled. Every time we do an episode, we uh, we delete that from the list and bump oh, everything okay. else up. So. Yeah. All right. 76. 76. The theme for next episode is Fire It Up. Nice. Good pick, Doug. I hope those movies are about weed. Fire it up. Fire it up. Fire it up. 
<laughs> it won't make it won't make sense for a while, but yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny the uh, oh. level of marijuana usage in the episode "Fired Up." All right. Oh wait, that's lighted up. That's that's number seventy-seven. <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah. uh, you know. Until next episode comes around, you can uh, mm-hmm. let us know what you think the three movies for Fired Up are going to be. Please. But uh, for the time being, Doug, thank you once again yes, for sir. joining us. you the man, Doug. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I had a great time. All right. Well, until next time, I am Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Doug Miller. I'm not sure if I'm going to be here next time or not, but I had a good time today. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for watching. And listening. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy. The crew's gotta know. The crew's gotta know. Are you a friend or are you a foe? Some people